What's up? This is Ralph Trezvan. You're listening to Reviews and Done with my dude, Derek Dunn. Keep it locked, fam. What's up, world? Once again, it's your boy, Derek Dunn, back with another interview. My guest today is Mr. Greg Williams, founding member of Legendary 70s R&B band, not group, but band, Switch. So welcome to the line, Mr. Greg Williams. How are you doing today, sir? I'm fine, Derek. I'm yourself. Bless Derek. Excited to talk to a legend such as yourself, so let's get right into it. Okay, but also let me shed a little light, too. You were specific about clarifying that not band but group, but ironically we are both. In fact, uh, we are more known for our vocals than we are a band. But the fact that it's a self-contained act, we are accepted as both. Yes, sir. I know. Yeah. I just, um, I like it. You know, you guys have to get down by yourself, you know, without a backing band and do everything yourself. So that's why, like, you know, it's a difference in a group and a band. I just want to throw that out there and give you your just do for being, you know, a group that can play their own instruments and not have someone else doing the stuff for them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I wanted to create. I've been a musician most of my life, so, you know, I mean, it, it was, I surrounded myself with like-minded cats that could sing and play. That's what that was. Cool. cool. But okay. So, you grew up in Mansfield, Ohio. Who were some of those early musical influences? No, 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 no. And again, that's misinformation. I was born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, Grand Rapids. All right, cool, cool. So, okay, and, I, and Bobby DeBarge and just... Uh, I was more influenced by my family, Derek. You know, my dad was a jazz saxophonist. My mom was a gospel vocalist. My mom was from a family of 11 kids. She had 10 other siblings. All of them sing and all of them played, and those were my influences for the most part. I mean, there were people that I liked and picked up on in the course of the journey, but my influences came from my household and my family for the most part. Nice, nice. And prior to work, prior to starting Switch, you were a member of a group called White Heat with Bobby DeBarge and Jody Sims, and you guys had a close association with Mr. Barry White, the legend. What memories do you have about working with Mr. White? Well, quite a few. I mean, Barry was my manager, and he also became a friend to to uh, to most of us. We weren't with him long, 1973 to 1976, but it was a hell of an experience, a hell of a ride. And actually, the group's name was uh, TNT Flasher, and Barry White was the one that, when he signed us, he changed the name to White Heat. And, you know, I mean, there's a story behind that all the way around, but that's what that was. And it was good. It was a good experience for us. You know, it was a learning experience on a multitude of levels. Now, following White Heat, you released Paul Paul Malgrove under the name of Hot Ice. So how did you guys finally decide on the name Switch? Okay, that's a different group, too. There was White Heat first, and then uh, there was a, I got the demo money. When I decided White Heat broke up, a year later I decided to put Switch together. I wound up getting the money to cut a demo from a guy in Germany uh, who wanted to be the manager. He got me the money. We cut the demo. Sadly enough, the relationship between manager and artist did not work. He assumed it to be something one way, and it really was another way. He was going to dictate and run things. 
So bottom line, anyway, uh, I uh, gave him material that White Heat had recorded. You know, instead of giving him the demos that we had recorded, to which ultimately became Switch, I gave him the demos that White Heat had recorded. And uh, he took that back to Europe with him. And that's how that group Hot Ice came up. They just created a name for the group, and they put the music out on Polygram Records. And that's, so, but people confuse it. People want to think that uh, Fitch, Switch was a, uh, a outgrowth of White Heat and Hot Ice and all that. Switch was its own entity. White Heat was its own entity. And Hot Ice was a fictitious entity that, that was just given a name and given a product. And also, years later, that same Hot Ice product that you're talking about came out on Source Records under the name of Smash. And when they tried to put members together for Smash, they wound up with Elder Barge, Marty DeBarge, Randy DeBarge, Andre Abney, who's their first cousin, and another guy. They created an entity to try to promote that record. It was unsuccessful all the way around. But anyway, that's what that was. I know that's a long way around what you asked me, but I'm just trying to share the information so that the story is accurate. Uh, no, sir. Like you said, you're giving me a, um, a ton of a history lesson and a ton of knowledge. So we haven't even gotten into the successful years yet, and I'm already intrigued. So shout out to you, <laughs> sir, for your speaking voice and your interest in knowledge. Absolutely, so and accuracy. Have... You know, and, I, and and strange too, man, because I dedicate my career to now to get sh- sh- uh, sharing accurate information on Swiss people. I have all these confused stories about what was what then and that and all that. You know, and, and that's why I took the time and went back to college after so many years and wrote my book, Switch to Barge, Motown, and Me. That is the only accurate source of information about the, develop, the beginning and development of Switch. So if anybody wants to follow up after this and, and get the factual information, it is Switch to Barge, Motown, and Me. That's my book, and that's only the first one. There's a second one coming, too. But anyway, let's get back on track. Excuse me. <laughs> Now, so you got to plug that book. And folks, this book is available on Amazon, on Kindle, and on hard copy. So, you know, check the book out to get even more in-depth answers after our interview. So briefly, tell me how did you, how did you all end up signing with Motown? It was a strange thing, okay. Now, that's where Mansfield comes into play. When I put the group together, the original group that ultimately became switched together, I moved the group with the budget I just mentioned that the guy, the demo money that the guy uh, gave me. I moved all the individuals to Mansfield, Ohio. We recorded a demo. Uh, it took a two-week period in the chief studio. We recorded a demo. And then the drummer, Jody Sims, and I flew out to Los Angeles. After being in to shop a deal, we brought the demo out to shop a deal. After being in L.A. nine days, it was just by fluke. We met Jermaine Jackson and Hazel Gordy Jackson, his wife, on the elevator. And uh, we gave them the only tape that Jody and I had. We came all the way out from California with one darn tape, and we weren't giving it to nobody, according to us. But that day we realized, let's give this tape and see what happens. We'll get another one. So we gave the only tape to Jermaine, and ironically he called us in less than 24 hours and asked, what did we want? We told him we wanted a record deal. So a few hours later, then we wound up joining him at the hospital where his wife was giving birth. So me and Jody and him hung out while she was in labor and talk, and a record deal came out of that. 
Nah, so that's how we wound nah. up getting. That's how we wound up getting with Motown. Oh yeah, this is knowledge right here, man. This is this is history. So you guys released the debut in '78 on Motown. I'm not even born yet, and you know we all know that Bobby wrote <laughs> "Don't Ever Be." But my personal favorite, sir, on the on the, on the Motown debut was "I Want to Be Closer," which Jermaine Jackson wrote. Now, what do you recall about wait, recording? I want to be closer. Wait, 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 let me shed something on that one. Jermaine Jackson and I wrote that book, that song. Oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't see Jermaine Jackson did not write that by himself, and uh, there wow. is only mm-hmm. one album cover that clarifies who co-wrote that song. It was some mix-up in the office and a big stink, my first big stink with Motown about not getting my credit, but I and Jermaine wrote that song. Just as Bobby and I wrote I, I, I Call Your Name, just like, you know, Bobby and I wrote We Like to Party. We wrote in teams back then. So anyway, just so you know. <laughs> cool. All right, so with I Want to Be Closer, that's a song that, man, in my DJ days, when I was overseas and I would play it, you know, during my set, the older crowd used to just get excited. So how did the ladies react, sir, when you guys would perform that one live? Oh, God, man, it's crazy. Even today, almost 40 years later, I mean, they just kind of lose their minds. <laughs> it's awesome, you know, the reaction and response to that. And here's a little clue to something. I don't know when you plan the air, but Switch is doing a virtual concert. I'm trying to lock it in for July 31st, which is a Friday. I'll have a meeting tomorrow on that. We finally got footage back. But on that concert, one of the songs that we do is I Want to Be Closer. Watch the response on that if you get a chance to catch it. Classic, classic song, sir. Now, one of the production credits on the first album was We Like to Party, Come On. What was the recording process like for that one? That wasn't nothing but a party. That's all it was, was a party. That was, Of course, there was something that I wrote and arranged to produce with uh, with the the oversight of Barry Gordy and Jeffrey Bowen. They they call themselves the Bewley Brothers. But anyway, that wasn't nothing but us having fun because I wrote that song, you know, it's part of the original demo for Switch. It had a different name, you know, and uh, we got into the studio and we cut it and, you know, something was missing and Barry Gordy said, suggested this and Jeffrey Bowen suggested that and after that it was, a, it was you know, it became a hot song. And it wound up being number 18 on the dance charts. So it was a pretty big song for us. Yeah, I take a lot of time to uh, try to read books and everything. And, you know, I've read books by Maurice White. I read stuff on Rick James on the temps. And a lot of and a lot of books, I always say, like, a lot of the up-tempo stuff, you know, back in the day was nothing but a jam session. You would just go in the studio and just party. And you'd end up having a song coming out after the, um, you know, jam session. So, yeah, thank you for clarifying that. Yep. So we get, that, yeah. we get into that the second the album. A lot of people. We get into the second album, Switch 2, which features one of your biggest hits, the overly often sampled I Call Your Name, which you co-wrote. Still a iconic and classic song. But the second album also features some more amazing production by you outside of the hits. Fallen and Next to You. So were you primarily handling the funk and the simple numbers for the group? 
in addition to writing some no. of the first stuff? No, because I did ballads as well. The only thing is, is that those were the two songs that surfaced of the few that we recorded at the time. Because I knew that element was missing in what we did, so I, of course, added that to what I did. I mean, as we go further into the years of recording, you might note that I did ballads then. I did them from the beginning, and I did them then. But those songs were ones that surfaced. I knew that, you know, they were missing in what we were trying to put together as an album, so I came up with them. Did you prefer doing ballads, or did you like doing the uh, tempo stuff more? Oh, man, I do music. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. It could be a jazz song or a polka. If I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. It's just that simple. But, you know, it just wound up uh, what surfaced at that time. You know, that filled the commercial need at the time. That's what that was. Cool, cool. So Switch 2 also has another person favorite of mine, Calling All Girls. Calling on all girls. Now, I imagine that was another huge concert for you, another huge concert song for you all back in the day. So did you have a part in Calling All Girls with the music or with the writing that you were properly no, for? No, not in that. That was Jermaine Jackson. That was Jermaine. Of course, we helped arrange the vocals and things like that, which are on the covers, but no, that was Jermaine's doing. Nice. So when you're signed to Motown, sir, did you ever have a chance to produce for any of the labels, other acts during the initial switch run? Oh, absolutely. I did some stuff on The Temptations. I did High Energy. You know, I did a few of the acts, Ozone, and acts that didn't really surface big. I did a few of them. Yes, I did. Cool. See, see Mr. Lawrence, man, you have an amazing story, and you're just giving me so much knowledge, and this is stuff that I like to hear about. Just, you know, stuff that I wouldn't know because, granted, you know, I wasn't alive yet, but it's still just a blessing to hear your story and hear you just spit out this truth and this knowledge. So that being said, when you were on Motown, did you ever get a chance to watch any of the um, other acts working? Like when Stevie did um, Songs in the Key of Life, did you ever get a chance to watch him record that album? No, although uh, we did go in sessions with a few other people. For example, Stevie was in the studio with me and Bobby when we were doing I Call Your Name. And we were interning with the, with the Commodore Zoom, doing Zoom and stuff like that, and Tina, uh, 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 Tina Marie, and, of course, Rick and I were, like, really close. So most of the stuff he cut, I was in. Well, a lot of it. I won't say most of it because a lot of it he cut up in Sausalito. But a lot of the stuff he cut in L.A., I was in the studio with him, you know. So, yeah, we got a chance to, to hang and deal with different people. That's amazing, man. Just just to um, watch the Commodores do um, Zoom and just the emotion that goes into that um, goes in that track, that, that had to be a, a sight. To see. We had fun, man. All of us, you know, we were peers, and we were enjoying what each other did, you know. And when, when there was opportunities for us to get together and hang, we did. So it turned out cool. It really did turn out cool. So 1980 sees the third album release. And the third album, you you have more production on that one, Get Back to You, and Keep Moving On. Now, were you singing lead on Get Back to You? Or was that, um, who was singing lead on Get Back to You? That's me. That's me. 
Yeah, I wrote, arranged, and produced, and performed that song. Yes, I did. It had to be sure. I, I, I thought it was you, so I wanted to make sure I put enough respect on your name. I appreciate also that. Thank 19, you. Yeah. Also in 1980, you guys released This Is My Dream. Now, was yep. that a common practice to, to release two albums in the same year? No, but the thing is, is that uh, since uh, Reaching for Tomorrow, the third album didn't do so well, because if you recall, they put a globe on the cover, among other things. Uh, they just decided we can co- we should best come back with another one right away. So that's what happened that my, year. And this is my dream. That's the first one that didn't have any input from Jermaine Jackson, correct? You guys, it's a full-on switch-produced album. That's right. Yeah, at that time, the, uh, we had a management relationship with Jermaine most of those years, and by that time, you know, they were no longer involved. Him and Hazel were no longer involved management-wise. So, Plus, Jermaine was trying to rebuild. He was moving on to Arista and trying to rebuild his career over there. So. Yeah, so it was, hadn't, hadn't been born yet, but, uh, he, yeah, because he, when, when, when did Jermaine leave Motown, if you don't mind my asking, just for my, I'm a music historian, so when did he actually leave Motown to go to Arista? I think he went over there at 81, to tell you the truth, 81, 82. Yeah, I was born in uh, 81. Oh, we, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 80s baby. I so heard that. Switch five, <laughs> Switch 5 is the last album you all record from Motown, and it's the first one not to feature Bobby and Tommy, and, and it's also Philip Ingram's last album. Why did you all end up leaving Motown after that album? Uh, it was a crazy situation, but Motown, for whatever reason, they uh, uh, decided they, not to promote the group any longer. And we didn't want to stay where we weren't wanted or we weren't going to be treated right. <coughs> and uh, there was records on the charts, for example, Call On Me was released off that album. And instead of promoting the record, and the record was climbing the charts real fast, instead of promoting the record, uh, they decided to uh, pull the plug and not promote it. So, therefore, we knew it was time for us to go, so that's what we did. And then Bobby decided he wanted to go over and work with his brother and sister. It didn't really, his brothers and sister, it really didn't happen, but that was his aim when he left the group. And, of course, Tommy, he's a debarge, he followed suit. And then James Ingram is happening over at Quest, and he offered Philip to come over and hang with him. So... With that, it just kind of split up. Me, Jody, and Eddie wound up replacing all three of them and moving on to total experience, and that was a waste of time to, you know, tell you the truth. Yes, sir. So brief, I'm going to briefly talk about that. So you guys signed with total experience around 83, I think, and then 84, you guys released Am I Still Your Boyfriend with Correct. two new members. Now, Correct. Am I, Am I Still Your Boyfriend? I actually heard, um, you know, heard that one uh few years back, and what were your recollections on Am I Still Your Boyfriend? Was it just um, not how you wanted to come out, or was it just more of a label obligation for you guys to finish the project? I'll be very honest with you. It wasn't Switch, and I didn't like the idea of perpetrating and trying to sell something as Switch when it wasn't Switch anymore. With Bobby, Tommy, and Philip gone, the six 
members that I pulled together, the entity that I created did not, it was not the same. And I didn't want to keep up the farce. So it was time to move on, period. That total experience record to me, I didn't too much, to be honest with you, care for being at that label. It was something to keep it going, but, you know, when it turned out to be what it was, it was time, man. It was time to let it go, you know, give up the ghost. And that's what I decided to do and moved on. All right, and we're going to get into your, we're going to get into your solo work as a um, horn player and just everything that you've done. But I have to ask, was there ever, was there ever an official breakup of the group, or did you guys all just uh, side part ways amicably? Oh, we were partners, man. Come on, all the way down, including me and Bobby butted heads in the final stages of of him being at Motown, but none of the rest of us really, you know, lost any insight. We just didn't. So we just, you know, I moved to New Jersey. Once I moved to New Jersey, I mean, I was pretty much, to be honest with you, the nucleus of that whole thing. And it was my efforts and my energy that gave it life in the beginning and tried to sustain it. And when I moved to New Jersey, it fell apart. It just wasn't there anymore. So. So as you mentioned earlier, you're all-around musician, a talented just a horn player, and in doing my research, one of the things I was surprised to learn about was that you played on Luther's album for always, forever, for always, for love. Do you recall what song yeah. you actually played on? No, because it was I did it as a session player, as a session horn player. So I didn't even, you know, I believe it or not, man, I didn't even recall it for years. I didn't even know it was Luther's. It was for Luther when I did it. I did it with Marcus Miller. And so it wound up actually, being um, how, how did that actually work, sir? I've always been curious how the whole session thing works. Do you, do you not get credit on the song if, you, if you're just in the session, or how does that work if you don't want to yeah, come on asking? Yeah, a hired player. Unless you're part of an ensemble, you know, unless it's just a horn group to, of union musicians, yeah, you get credit. I mean, I had enough notes noteworthiness to get credit for playing on it, you know, but, and so it, they'll hire you, you work for hire, you do a session, they pay you, it's just that simple, and now uh, they give you your credit, so. So you never slowed down with your music, you know, you're of making a name for yourself, and in 93, you worked with James Ingram on his album, Always You. How was working with the sibling of your bandmate? Well, we were always close anyway. From the very beginning, me and James were always close. So I was excited to do it. I remember when he asked me to come over. We did a lot of stuff together. That's just all that surfaced. But, yeah, it was special working with James. Always, We always liked each other. We were, you know, we were all family. So when we had the opportunity to actually record some stuff together, it just turned into what it turned into. Now, 95 is another big year for you when you worked with uh, Quincy Jones on the Q's Juke Joint project. How did you end up hooking up with Mr. Jones? Well, and quite frankly, that was not me. That was the other Greg Williams. There's another Greg Williams, too, that does different stuff. He's a French horn player. And that was his session. I see. Yeah, because when I, when, I, when I looked you up, they had you, li- they had you listed 
right under James and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's the other Gregory. He was a French one player. So, but '95 did see you. '95, you did get a chance to go back to Motown and work with the iconic Boys to Men on a remix for Vibin'. Now, that's, that's definitely me. That's definitely me. I produced that. Me and Mark Sparks worked together and produced that. Now, your remix is, is just the summertime, it's the funky groove. So was that the groove you were going for, but something just grown and sexy with a little bit of dabble of funk in it? Yeah, man. I mean, it, it was really ironic because Mark started playing the drum beat and I just started putting everything else on top, from bass to keyboard to clav lick and all that stuff. And, and all it was was just us just having fun, man. That's all it was. So last year, last year you released your biography, Switch the Barge, Motown and Me, which you previously mentioned earlier in the interview. Now, that's, that's available on Amazon and also available on your website, I believe. When you were writing the it's book, did you find it to be therapeutic? A cathartic, yes, it was. It was a release of a lot of stuff that I held in over the years that I didn't get a chance to talk about. Yeah, it was. It was. It and it still is something special. You know, fortunately, and not only is it on Amazon, it's on Border Books, Barnes and Nobles. All they have to do is Google it, and it'll come up all over the place. And especially more so, my website, uh, the SwitchEntertainmentWorld.com, it'll come up. But yeah, it's all over the place, and it's been a blessing, man, to have gotten that did got did that book, gotten that off my chest. Yes, sir. And you mentioned earlier that you're also writing a follow-up to that. Yes, I am. I sure am. I'm like 200 pages in. I don't know. Uh, uh, folks don't know, but the first book is long. It's 547 pages. So it's fairly long. I admit it, but I had a lot to say, and. I'm a couple hundred pages in here, and I'm going to make this as thorough as possible, too, because over those years since then, what you may not know is I have managed quite a few acts. I managed SWV. I managed El DeBarge, Chico DeBarge. I managed Michelle Thomas, who was on the, the Family Matters and Days of Our Lives. And actually, she started on the Cosby Show as Justine, uh, Theo's girlfriend. So, Rest in peace. And it just so happened that she's my niece, too, but I did manage her career. So I wound up getting involved. Me and Cynthia Horner were business partners. Cynthia Horner, right on magazine, were business partners for a lot of years as well. So, and, and all, all this is in the book. Is, is all this in the first book, or is it, going to, is it going to be in the second book? Pardon? Is, is, all, is all this stuff with your, with your mandarins, is that in the first book, or will this be in the second book? It'll be in the second book, yeah. The first book was, uh, was switch-driven, period. Cool, cool. It was Greg and Switch. And I'm talking about my life, but I was talking about, you know, where Switch came from and it's up into a period in our career. Yeah, I had no idea that you managed uh, Chico and Elle and Charleston manager, um, your niece, uh, the late Michelle Thomas. Who Michelle was Thomas? Not a, Absolutely. Yeah, not, Absolutely. Not only amazingly beautiful, but just naturally talented. She just had a um, – watching her, you know, in syndication on on Family Matters and on um, – because yeah. she just had a natural glow about her. So rest in peace to uh, Michelle Thomas. Michelle, that was my baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I, I don't know if you um, 
watched it last year, the Bobby DeBarge story where singer Lloyd betrayed you, but yeah. if you did watch it, what, what, did, what were your honest thoughts on Lloyd's portrayal of you, given, you know, they did the whole um, unauthorized route? I'll be totally honest with you. That could have been a portrayal of Johnny Watson or Willie Wilson or anybody. It was not me because uh, they didn't <clears> – <throat> the story was not factual. They, that was a bunch of made-up stuff that they put in that damn movie. You know, and it was an insult to switch the DeBarge family, Bobby DeBarge, and the whole thing because they just made something up and then claimed that it was us, and it was nowhere near us. They had no knowledge of us. So it was, you know, it was a disappointment, first of all. Now, with that said, the acting in it, you know, from what I, I, I acknowledge, I guess they did a good job because they portrayed what was in the script and who they were supposed to be portraying, but it just wasn't us is my whole point. Have you ever considered um, selling your, your your likeness rights from your first book for adaptation? I mean, believe, it, believe it or not, I'm in talks with some people now about a Netflix film for my book. Let's see what Ooh. happens. Well, congratulations. We'll see. Yeah, I'm, Thank I'm, you. I'm 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 big on biopics. That's, that's that's probably my favorite um my favorite film genre. So yeah, I'm huge huge on um musical biopics. That's like my Big favorite thing is a musical biopic, no matter what the genre is. And I'd love, love to see a, a musical film on screen. Gotcha. Well, I'm hoping, you know, things work out, but I am definitely in talks. Of course, the uh, coronavirus and all of that has delayed things all over the world. <clears throat> so, but we'll see what happens soon as, you know, things let up a little bit. <clears throat> So when you all aired your um your very good unsung, which I which I thought was very very well told and very well done, very um I don't know about stuff that Thank I you. didn't know. Sort of into the show, you guys, you know, they showed you guys performing and they showed your lead singer, um, Akil Nickinson. Akili, yes. Akili. Now, how did uh Mr. Nixon come to your attention and end up end up joining the latest version of Switch? A friend of mine, a producer up in the Bay Area, Kenny Taylor, uh, thought that he had worked with uh, Akili producer stuff and felt that Akili sounded a lot like Switchwood currently. And he gave me a phone call. And I heard Akili's demo, and he and I got to talking. And from that point, he came down, and at that time, I was managing L. So me, him, and L did a whole lot of hanging and talking and enjoying each other, and uh, ultimately I decided, okay, let me put Switch together. Akili, you want to join us? And it was just that simple. Cool. Yeah, I've seen some um, YouTube videos of you guys' um, performance. Still hoping once the COVID clears up that you guys will bring your your, uh, your talents to D.C. so I can actually experience the show live because, you know, it's totally different than seeing it on YouTube and actually being there. So that's one of my um, bucket lists is to see Switch live because I've seen L numerous times. It's like, you know, I gotta see you know you playing all the you playing the instruments and see Philip up there and you know hear Achilles sing. So I, I hopefully once it's COVID clears up, you guys will do a tour and I can actually experience Switch live for myself. I'm, Actually, I'm we did have a tentative dialogue to do. 
we were supposed to do the Bethesda Blues and Jazz Club up there, but of course the the Rockets shut that down. But we'll see what happens. Let's hope something happens from this point. So once the COVID clears up, you mentioned the um, you guys are trying to get a, a, a show in the works, and you, you're working on another book. What else do you have planned musically for the rest of this year, if you don't mind my asking? Well, we're going to see. It's one day at a time, my friend. That's all it is, one day at a time, until we figure this madness out. Once we get past the storm, we'll know what's what. But at least me and the guys are talking, you know, sometimes twice a week on different things. And we are getting this virtual show together that we're going to uh, release roughly on the 31st, and we'll see what happens from there. Cool, cool. I want to thank you for um, taking your time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. And I also want to thank you for just providing so many years before I was born of good music. I mean, Switch's music for me, you know, even though, you know, I'm 39, but I'm like I said, I'm an old soul. So your music for me, just from the ballads, from the, from the up-tempo stuff to the thing, you know, helped me out a lot when I was going through my stuff in life. And, um, you know, I, got, I tell everybody, you know, I'm, I'm an Air Force vet. And so gotcha. when I was deployed the first time, you know, I really had time just to really digest music and really listen to music. So playing some of Switch's songs, like, you know, of course, I want to be close to calling on all girls, but actually having um, – love over and over again and i call your name don't ever be just on constant repeat even though the r&b songs for me sir i took them as inspirational gospel songs that helped me out let me know that, uh, I gonna, that, that, that i am gonna get home to my mom that i'm gonna be okay even though i'm over you know in this hot desert serving my country so i know that i'm gonna be okay so from the bottom of my heart i just want to thank you for that you know so providing i mean that good music I, I, you know something, you telling me that has touched me more than a lot has. I so appreciate that because that tells me something about my music that I'd never heard before. And if it gave you a sense of security and a sense of belonging, then I, I did what I set out to do. I thank you for that. I really do. Oh, yeah. And it's, um, sir, what it is is, like, you know, it's just nothing but, <laughs> nothing but sand and, like, it's like a hundred and... 10 degrees, and, you know, I'm single at the time, so I really just have a chance to really go in and listen to the lyrics. So, like, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm listening to They'll Never Be, and I'm like, you know what? These brothers are singing about God. You know, they're not necessarily singing about, yep. you know, a woman. You know, this song right here could easily be a gospel song that you could Absolutely. sing in church on Sunday. I call your name. You know, they're, they're singing about, you know, Jesus. To me, you That's can easily right. put that into a gospel song, and it's just so positive and so, um, you know, warming to the heart. So thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. And once again, folks, um, Switch is just a group, a band, just an all-around talented entity. And if you've never heard some of their albums, a bunch of their albums are available on all streaming platforms, so check that out. Um, I would love to hopefully, you know, one day get the stuff remastered and released on CD because I'm still, I'm still about the physical myself. But, you know, for the folks that have it on vinyl, 
I salute to you because you really have a treat. I'm stuck with the One Greatest Hits album and, you know, buying stuff on a streaming platform, which I really don't like to do because, you know, I'm about the physical. So we've had Mr. Greg Williams, founding member of Switch on the line. Check out his book. Um, just type it in Google, and it'll pop up. The book is called Switch to Barge, Motown, and Me. Mr. Williams always Mr. Williams also working on another follow up book, which will be released soon. Hopefully, Absolutely. the concert comes together, which is due to air at the end of this month. And is there anything you want to add? And where can fans find you on social media? Yeah, definitely. We're all me and the guys are individually and collectively on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Twitter, excuse me. I am uh, Gregory Williams and Switch Entertainment LLC. You'll find me on both. But most importantly, check us out on my website, www.switchentertainmentworld.com. You'll find yesterday, today, and hopefully tomorrow as to what we're doing and been doing and trying to keep alive. So reach out. Cool, cool. Well, once again, folks, I'm going to thank Mr. Williams for coming out of the to chop it up with me. And as always, to quote the late, great Maurice White, keep your head to the sky. Until the next time, done out. What up, y'all? This is Mike from the infamous group 112, ATL's Finest, and thanks for listening to Reviews and Done with my man, Derek Dunn. If you like this show and want to know more, check out his website, reviewsanddone.net.